When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mom and Dad are Fighting is sponsored by Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo, the third installment in the hilarious New York Times best-selling children's book series filled with inventions, science experiments, and baseball-playing robots by former National Ambassador for Young People's Literature John Sheska and mad scientist-illustrator Brian Biggs. That's Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo, on sale now from Amulet Books. And by Little Passports. Keep your kids busy with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Right now, Mom and Dad are Fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month with promo code MOMANDDAD40. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash momanddad. And by bullandbranch.com, the company that makes luxury bedding affordable. Get the nicest sheets you've ever owned for about half the price of what stores and boutiques are charging. Order right now, and they'll give you $50 off a set of sheets, plus free shipping. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com and use the promo code MOMANDDAD. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 8th, the adult trick-or-treat edition. I'm Allison Benedict, an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 6, Sam 4, and Wally 2. And I'm Dan Coyce. I'm also an editor at Slate, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who is 10, and Harper, who's 8. On today's show, we'll talk to Meredith Fine-Lichtenberg about parenting with cancer, and then Dan and I will discuss the most important holiday of the year, Halloween. Also, triumphs and fails, a listener call about a grandmother with a substance abuse problem, and a great triumph or fail in our Slate Plus segment. But before we get to that, some announcements. Please like us on Facebook. That's where Dan has been explaining the finer points of Ace of Hates, his card game that's sweeping the nation. Dan, congratulations. It's really developing in the comments. It's very exciting. (laughs) Yes, people are really into this game. Uh, So go to Facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Leave us a message. Ask a question about Ace Ace of Hates. Comment about the podcast or just press like. And then a more even more important announcement. We are having a DC live show on October 20th, which is really soon. 
Uh, Dan and I will be at the Wooly Mammoth Theater with several special guests. Uh, Face the Nation host, Slate contributor and dad about town John Dickerson will be there to talk about presidential parenting or parenting from the campaign trail or something else interesting and fun. Also, Stephen Thompson of NPR's great pop culture happy hour will join us to talk about the joys and potential drawbacks of imposing your taste in music and movies and TV on your kids. Uh, Dan's wife will be there. My parents will be there. There will definitely be audience participation. It's going to be really fun. So buy a ticket and come if you're anywhere near the D.C. area. In fact, we just lowered our normal live show ticket price so you can afford to get a sitter. It's $15 for the show, $35 for the show and cocktail hour. So go to slate.com slash mom and dad live and buy your tickets. We can't wait to see you guys. Okay, triumphs and fails. Dan. Okay, well, I had one of those uh, triumphs that magically, over the course of the event, turned into a fail. So Lyra had a friend over the other day, and she really, 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 really wanted to dye a purple streak in her hair. And I, of course, am a cool dad. There's a little trademark sign after that. Uh, And I was like, sure, absolutely, go for it. Do it. Just use the downstairs bathroom, not the nice bathroom upstairs. Uh, So she and her friend went downstairs, and they applied, like, the bleach stuff to Lyra's hair, which you have to do because she has dark hair. So you can't make it purple, really, unless first you make it light. So they did that. Worked great. After like an hour, she had this like bright streak all ready for the purple dye. And I send them back downstairs and I say, have a great time. Clean up after yourselves. So my triumph was encouraging Lyra's independent streak. Her streak. Get ah, it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ah. Uh, and letting her try this thing all by herself. And my fail was letting her do this independent thing with indelible hair dye in a mostly white bathroom. So now everything in our bathroom is purple. Not well, not the toilet. It it wiped off the toilet successfully, but all the grout, uh, all the walls, the door, the rug, the carpet outside, and also the cold and hot water handles on the sink, which are made of ceramic and are apparently stainable, and they're all purple. And there's purple marks all over Lyra's face that will take like ten showers to come off uh, at the rate we take showers in our family. That's like five weeks of showers. Uh, so everything's purple. Our whole downstairs is purple. Her hair looks pretty good, though. Here's the question. Were you mad at her? I was, no, I was more disappointed in myself. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) Uh, Uh, I I thought the fail was going to be that her friend did it, too, and you didn't ask the friend's parents, which would No, no, the friend's parents were, the friend's mom was there, actually. They were over for dinner, so she knew what was going on, um, and... The friend was an eager helpmate, but did not dye her own hair, although that may happen in the future. Um, No, the fail was just that I destroyed our bathroom due to a poor choice of times to encourage independence. And at a time when when her incompetence at a task caused actual damage to our home, which I potentially could have foreseen had I thought about it for even one second. Now we know what you're going to do with the proceeds from Ace of Eight. That's right. I'm going to um, buy new grout for my bathroom tile. Uh, She wants to do her whole head now. Should I let her do her whole head? I think so, yeah. Yeah. We're going to take her to a salon, though. I think that's that's a lesson learned. Yeah. How about you? I actually have a triumph this week. Hooray! 
We should have a special sound effect when I have a triumph. Okay, so Harry's school is doing what they call the TV turnoff challenge. Do you guys do something like this? Is this a familiar No, but thing? I love it already. Okay, so they challenge the kids to watch a certain amount of TV during the week, only a certain amount of TV, and the kids sign a contract agreeing to either go for the gold, which is no TV or screen time Sunday night through Friday morning, the silver, which is no more than 30 minutes of TV or screen time during that period, or the bronze, which is no more than 60 minutes of TV or screen time Sunday night through Friday morning. Not total, but each night or day. Um, and if they have schoolwork that requires a computer, it doesn't count against their time. Anyway, so the school sent this flyer home, and it said that last year 85% of families participated. We were not at the school last year, um, so we didn't know about this. Uh, and it said that most of the families go for the gold because apparently the gold is easier to pull off because the kids never get tempted because it's just like a hard and fast commitment. We're not turning on the TV during the week. Um, I had no interest in Harry going for the gold. <laughs> it did not seem realistic. Uh, and I feel like TV time, well, it can definitely get out of control. It is in some ways a general good in our household in moderation. Uh, so I gave Harry the form and he had to choose which medal he wanted to, to go for. And he was got really upset and said he didn't want to do the challenge at all. I couldn't really figure out why, because really the bronze isn't that much harder than like what he actually does on a typical night. Um, so after talking for a while, it became very clear that the reason he didn't want to do the challenge was because he wanted to be the best, meaning he wanted to go for the gold. But at the same time, he didn't want to commit to no TV at all. So we talked it through, and I told him that the bronze would still be great and it would work well for our family. And he seemed to agree, but when he went to actually fill out the form, he had second thoughts, and I watched him with his pencil, like, over the gold box, threatening to check it. And I swooped in and said, are you sure choosing gold would be something you could follow through on? Wouldn't it be better to commit to something you can reasonably accomplish, but would still be a challenge on some nights? And he agreed and marked bronze. And my triumph is that I convinced my child to agree to watch more, not less TV. But I really do view this as a triumph <laughs> because we were able to participate in the school initiative, which I support, while also being realistic about what's best for our family. Marvelous. That's Thank marvelous, you. Allison. I'm, I'm extremely proud <laughs> of How many minutes of television do your children, <laughs> how many minutes of television, be honest, do your children watch most weeknights? If it's nothing, uh, if it's none, you can say it, just say it. I want to hear On it. weekdays, they have, their limit is 45 minutes of screen time each, which uh, Harper often uses on TV and Lyra always uses watching YouTube videos. Okay, so that is, the, that's the bronze. Yeah. My kids usually watch two shows, which t totals 44 minutes. Right. And then on, they're really into football lately, so on Monday night football or Thursday night football, then they watch, now they watch the exact amount that they have after 44 minutes till they would break the TV turnoff challenge to watch a little right. football. Right. Okay. All right. That's a great triumph. Congratulations on um, slightly increasing the amount of TV that your child watch, <laughs> watches in a week. <laughs> this week's first sponsor is book three in the hilarious science-themed children's book series from Amulet Books, Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo. The New York Times bestselling team of John Sheska and Brian Biggs have created a unique world of fun, integrating real science facts into a book full of adventure, humor, and robots. The six-book series follows the adventures of kid inventor and scientist Frank Einstein, his best friend Watson, and his two robots, Clink and Clank. The books encourage middle-grade readers to question the way things work and how they, too, can experiment with science. Kid genius and inventor Frank Einstein's quest in book three is to unlock the power behind the science of the human body to help his friend Jane Goodall be a better baseball pitcher. 
The book has tons of cool human body facts, is perfect for fans of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and great for new chapter book readers who are looking for something funny and smart to read. That's Frank Einstein and the Brain Turbo. Check it out. All right, let's move on to our first segment. It's hard enough to deal with a child when he or she is sick. But how do you deal with a child when you're sick? What about when you're, like, really sick? In a recent essay in the Washington Post, Meredith Fine Lichtenberg wrote about what's happened since she told her kids she's suffering from breast cancer. She's in our New York studio to talk about that experience with us. Hi, Meredith. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. So to start out, how old are your kids? Uh, 14 and 8. So did you, when you got the diagnosis, I guess my first question for you and the first thing that I, that I would try to think about in that same situation is, did you tell them right away or did you wait? Did you wait for it to settle a little bit? Did you wait to get more information? How did you approach just the timing of that conversation? We waited actually. And uh, my husband and I talked about that question almost immediately. I think we felt right at the beginning that there wasn't enough information and we wanted to be able to tell them when there was a plan. And most importantly, the clear first step was that there was going to be surgery and that was the way we talked about it with them was that I needed surgery. We kind of hoped that we could tell them when we knew what the whole plan was going to be. So there was some delay. At some point, we realized we weren't going to know the whole story before the surgery and so we just had to tell them and that was when we did. But it was, I think, probably a couple weeks between when I knew and when they knew. And now did you phrase it specifically as being cancer or did you talk more broadly and generally about an illness or surgery or recovery? Well, you know, they're not really little kids. And so they have both heard of cancer before. I was a little concerned that if I said I have cancer, that it might, first of all, be more provocative than it needed to be and distracting. And also, that kind of wasn't the point. It seemed the more important salient point to them was going to be, I need surgery. There's going to be some treatment. It's going to be a massive inconvenience for you. Meaning, and then like, I'm going to be okay. And, you know? yeah. and then I'm going to be okay. And then after we got through that, immediately into, well, what is a surgery for? Sure. Yes, of course, I said it was breast cancer, but I actually didn't start with that word in the first sentence. You talk about in your piece that the the cancer to them means something different than it would have to you as a, as a kid. Yeah, I, I think it took me quite a while to appreciate that, that it doesn't mean the same thing to them. So often when I think of parenting, I realize that my initial gut feelings on things, I'm remembering, first of all, being older than my kids are, and also that I was influenced by a whole set of things that haven't happened to them. And this was an example of that. I don't really know what I knew about cancer when I was certainly eight, like my younger child. But what I think of now growing up was a lot of people getting very sick and dying. And that is not the life that they have had, even though they're familiar with the word cancer and they have heard about it. You write in the piece about this sort of really interesting conflict that you ended up feeling and that the way you presented the information to them, you try to remove your emotion and fear from the equation as much as possible. And then you felt a little bit conflicted when they then, as you hoped they would, behaved normally around you. 
uh, just as you know, just as you really wanted them to. What's a, an example of of a time recently when that happened, and you sort of had to check yourself in your own response to their response? You know, I think there are a couple of layers of this because I think it's fine for them to see that adults have emotions and even fear and sadness and ambivalence and all of those things. What I really tried to spare them is panic, and there are moments where even the most you know, well-educated person with access to resources just falls into anxiety. I've really tried to spare them that and have it be that I'm kind of taking emotional responsibility for the situation in that way. But I don't expect them not to see any feeling. I'm not a machine, you know. I don't think that that would be good. I think as the time has gone on and we've gotten further into the treatment, I just get exhausted. And then, you know, there'll be little things like, you know, not wanting to empty the dishwasher or just throwing a hissy fit about practicing piano or doing homework. There was a time recently where my older child was, you know, complaining about a math teacher, and I just really didn't have patience for it. And I probably wouldn't have patience for it on a regular week either, but I certainly didn't have patience that day. And I was aware that I kind of wanted to say, can you give me a pass? But I also felt like this is a really big ninth grade math question that's coming up and it deserves my attention. And there is some conflict with that, with their lack of giving me a pass because they're just having their childhoods. Do you ever say like, are you ever like, guys, you're not like you're not showing empathy or or not or just guys like I'm I just had chemo and and I feel like shit. Um, I think I essentially do that, though I don't put it that way. And there was a time, I think I mentioned it in the essay, where my older child threw a pillow at me right after the surgery. And on the one hand, I was so gratified that I must not look horribly incapacitated, you know. Uh, I think what I did that time was I I texted my husband and I was like, could you please take up this issue with our child? Um, You know, I think I've handled it that way sometimes. Well, I I actually wanted to ask about that. I wondered if there were, if there was there are things your husband can do in terms of relating to your children and like making them better understand the situation or more empathetic that that you can't that it would be better for your partner to it's better for a partner to I handle. think that he handles most of it actually yeah. that he intervenes in that way so that I don't have to be in the role of saying like hey guys you know <laughs> right do you after so after the like initial I'm sure there was more than one conversation but after the like you know initial conversations do you periodically sit them down and say like do you have questions or do you kind of just let it like let them be and uh, there have been a couple of times where something was a big enough change or a big enough new thing that we needed to talk about it so going into the surgery it wasn't clear whether I was going to also need chemo and then after the surgery at some point we needed to tell them that that conversation we actually handled separately because it seemed that the age difference was going to mean that it was two really different conversations with my kids. Um, Since then, they're around for a lot of conversations my husband and I have or conversations like with my folks who have been um, helping out. They're in on a bunch of it, but there haven't been so many really like formal conversations. Yeah. This is a a little bit of a forward question. You should feel free not to answer it if you don't want to, but you talk, you've talked here and in the piece about cancer not meaning the same thing to them as it meant to you. But do you get the impression that they have conscious fears that you might die from this? And is that something that you have addressed explicitly? You know, it, 
It often seems to me that they're doing so well with it that it hasn't even occurred to them that there could be a really bad outcome from this. And I don't think that, specifically, I don't think that they're thinking about it long range in terms of that if something were going to go badly, it's probably not this year. It's probably at some point later that, you know, there could be a recurrence. I don't think that they're savvy enough to have thought of it that way. I'm probably deluding myself on that issue. Um, But that's what it seems like to me. I mean, we're all affected by it, but it's like it's not the way that they're anxious that they would sit and stew on a specific ideation like that, you know. Um, So it seems to me like it's not in their mind. But as I say that, I feel like it must be. (laughs) I just can't fathom it. Yeah, that's really hard. Uh, The piece is really, really great. Thank you so much for writing it and for coming in and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. It's on the Washington Post's website. We'll have a link on our show page and on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Thank you, Meredith, and we hope you get better soon. Thank you so much. Me too. Okay, let's hear from our second sponsor. Allison? Keep your kids busy this fall on rainy cold days with Little Passports, the award-winning subscription for kids. Pen Pals Sam and Sophia will send your child a monthly package in the mail, each highlighting a new global destination like Kenya or Spain or England or Israel, where my kids' cousins live but they've never visited and have tons of questions about. Follow the journey on the wall-sized world map and enjoy learning through letters, souvenirs, stickers, activities, and more. Mom and Dad are fighting listeners can save 40% on their first month today with promo code MOMANDDAD40. That's M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D-4-0. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash momanddad. All right. Let's move on to our listener call. If you've got a question you want us to answer on the air, give us a call at 424-255-7833. That number again, 424-255-RUDE. Today's call is from Catherine. Take it away. Hi, Allison and Dan. Uh, This is Catherine. Um, I am mom to twin girls who are four and a six-month-old boy. My question is to do with my mother. I don't have a relationship with her because she is a pretty bad alcoholic, um, so therefore she does not have a relationship with my kids. Um, She sought treatment at various points, but inevitably falls off the wagon. This has happened probably five or six times. Right now she's in a period of sobriety and wants to have a relationship with me and my kids. So I am sort of two things I'm struggling with. Um, Number one, I'm afraid that my kids will become attached to her if we begin a relationship with her and then be hurt if she falls off the wagon or we're not able to see her anymore. And on the other hand, I'm afraid that if this really is her, you know, big sobriety, she's going to do it, then I'm missing uh, the chance for them to have a relationship with their grandmother. My question is, um, if I do decide to risk this relationship, is there any way I can kind of temper my kids' expectations, you know, sort of of their grandmother? And if I don't do, if I decide not to pursue this relationship with her, how do I explain that estrangement to the kids because they're starting to ask questions, you know, why don't we have a grandma, who's your mom kind of thing. Um, We will see her occasionally because my siblings do a relationship with her, so holidays, Christmas, et cetera. I would be so grateful if you guys would weigh in. Thanks so much. Love the show. Bye-bye. 
That's a great question, Catherine. We have some ideas ourselves, but we also wanted to talk to someone who has dealt with this more directly. So we talked to a representative from Al-Anon, which is a really great organization and one that Catherine, you or anyone facing a situation like this might want to explore and get in touch with. Uh, his recommendation was pretty specific, and it was at the age of four, there's no point necessarily in really getting into the particulars of your mom's situation. You know, if you tell your kids that your that your mom has been sick, they're going to see her at Christmas, and she won't necessarily appear sick if she is currently in a sober phase of her disease. And so that's potentially only confusing. And it also means that you're introducing this part of your mom's life, a very difficult part, one that's caused you no shortage of heartache over the course of your life, you're introducing it to your kids and their knowledge and comprehension of their relationship with their grandmother before you necessarily even need to. You know, if if everything works out and, you know, if luck holds, maybe they never have to worry about your mother as a person who suffers from a disease. Maybe they never have that experience. So there's no point necessarily in bringing it up right now. And I thought that that was pretty solid advice. Um, you know, obviously, Catherine, you're going to be watchful and cautious. Obviously, you're, the five or six relapses that you've dealt with up till now have taught you that the warning signs, and if your mom falls off the wagon, you and your siblings are going to know like instantly. And that's a separate conversation with your kids. And that conversation is really dependent on what we, what ages they are, if and when that happens. But, you know, kids are resilient and tough. And I would really strongly argue from my perspective, and this is not coming from our friend at Al-Anon who helped us out, but from my perspective, I would really strongly argue for trying to foster that relationship now. I just really think that the rewards of having some close relationship to a grandma, even if it doesn't last forever, far outweigh the risks and costs of them being sad somewhere down the line. You know, if it happens, that will suck. And just as it has sucked, probably even more than it has sucked the last five or six times. But it's not going to be the first or the last time that they are sad about someone in their family. And the benefits of the relationship that they that you might be able to have them have, I think, really outweigh that. But what do you think, Allison? I mean, I basically agree. Again, like without any firsthand experience with this situation, which is why we called someone, I think my initial reaction is that people disappoint us in our lives and your children are a little young to to learn that lesson but not far from uh learning that lesson their friends will disappoint them uh people will let them down and you know i hope that 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 isn't the experience they have with your mom but i feel like in the end the opportunity to have a relationship and for you to sort of also be involved in that in a three-way relationship in a way um, outweighs the real and significant dangers and risks, which I am not belittling, but there will be other things in your life that will disappoint your children that you will have to confront. And this might be one of them, but that doesn't mean you can protect your kids from all of them. And if the time comes, I mean, I think you have enough experience with this, Catherine, to know that, that this is a disease that you can pose it to them very easily down the road as, as an illness that your mother has that sometimes comes back and and if god forbid it does come back you can present it to them as well this is an illness that she has and sometimes it comes back and she's it's not good for her to be around you when she has this illness and it obviously depends on how old they are but i do think that i just overall think that it's worth trying to make that connection if you can it's definitely i think you'll be happier in the long run even if 
the end result makes you sad that you made the attempt and that you gave them what you could give them. And maybe it turns out great and they have a relationship with them all their lives. And that would be the ideal scenario. For any listeners that have experience with this, I, it would be great if you could write in and if you were comfortable, let us know if we can pass along your um, advice to Catherine. I think that would be really great. Yeah. All right. So once again, if you have a question you want us to answer on the air, give us a call. 424-255-7833. 424-255-ROOT. And thanks to Al-Anon for giving us some advice for this. They're a really great organization. And Catherine, you might want to reach out to them as well. All right. Let's move on to an ad from our third sponsor, Bowl and Branch. Now, you, like me, I assume, really value your sleep. If you're a parent like us, you uh, treasure your sleep. If you're not a parent, but perhaps are considering becoming a parent sometime in the future, you really ought to treasure your sleep because soon you won't have any more. But whenever you want to buy sheets, you go to a department store, and then you spend like this insane amount of money for sheets, and you don't know whether they're good or not, and then you get them home, and then they just feel like other sheets, and you spend so much money on them, and you don't know why. So try Bull and Branch. Bull and Branch has made luxury bedding affordable. Until Bull and Branch, no one challenged the department stores. So they've been overcharging you for crummy sheets forever, and there was nowhere else to shop. Now you can buy right from bullandbranch.com and kiss those retail markups goodbye. You'll get the nicest sheets you've ever owned for about half the price of what stores and boutiques would be charging for much lesser quality. They're made from 100% organic cotton. And they're only sold online at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Bowl and Branch is so sure you're going to fall in love with their sheets that they give you 30 nights to try them out. So if you don't love them for any reason, then they'll just take them back and they'll refund you without any hassle at all. Now, if you order right now, uh, mom and dad listeners can get $50 off a set of sheets plus free shipping. Just go to bowlandbranch.com, use promo code MOMANDDAD. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code M-O-M-A-N-D-D-A-D for 50 bucks off a sheet set and free shipping. Give it a try. Okay, let's move on to our second segment. This past weekend, I told my kids I would take them shopping for their Halloween costumes. As we were preparing to head to the costume store, we ran into a very nice neighbor who told me he had recently been to a maker fair and would be attempting to make his kids' costumes himself. I smiled, said, that's awesome, and then shoved the kids into the minivan and took off for Spirit Halloween, where there are tons of crap costumes to choose from. The boys picked out ninja outfits, swords, and a decoration for our front door. I bought the stuff, we drove home, and the second we walked in the door, they started begging to put everything on and play with their swords. I held out for a few minutes, but then gave in. So far, one sword is broken, both nunchucks are completely done, and the armband to Harry's Ice Ninja is gone forever. In other words, Halloween season has begun. All right. Uh, first question, Allison. What is an ice ninja? <laughs> it is a thing that a costumer made, <laughs> created <laughs> that my son would want to wear. No, All but right. where where do you stand on making kids' costumes versus buying them? It might not be an ice ninja. Did I make that? Is that am I wrong? No, it's like no some ice dragon ninja. I don't know. Uh, Jesus, I don't know what crazy costume you want for seven dollars for your child. <laughs> Uh, we stand we stand right in the middle. We are very firmly in the assemble a costume camp, which is to say you come up with an idea and then you don't like sew anything because who sews something? That's insane. But you might order a bunch of different things from Amazon that 
put together, make the costume that your child wants, including possibly a custom-designed iron-on patch from someone on Etsy. Okay. I don't know if I have talked about this before on the podcast, but I have, like, a real fear of crafts. I'm terrible at crafts, and I'm, like, so, yeah. So I definitely have never attempted to make any Halloween costume. And I wish I, you know, it would be nice, but it's never going to happen. You have discussed your craftophobia, and I sort of want to devote an entire subject to that sometime. (laughs) Or maybe, like, in a live show, make you do crafts on stage. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, All right, so, Allison, trick-or-treating during the day or at night? I mean, I am definitely pro at night. Yeah, same same here. Do you know how they do it in your new neighborhood? Actually, I don't. I need to figure this out. In our old neighborhood, we always did it at night or it started at like, you know, five and yeah, and then we'd go till eight or something. Um, I think there might be some kind of like parade situation during the day and then trick-or-treating starts around. Well, this week, this year it's on a weekend. Yeah. So it kind of throws things off. It's more, I bet it's more likely to be during the day because it's a weekend. When I was growing up, they had this terrible rule in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, that you, it was like the Saturday closest to Halloween. Yep. Trick-or-treating was from 2 to 4 in the yep, afternoon. Yep, that's what we ha- Well, we didn't have that when I was very young, and then the town, whoever, I don't know, who makes these decisions? The mayor? They changed it. <laughs> mayor Quimby declared that that is when we had to do it. It was No, they did the same the thing with worst. us. It wasn't on October 31st, and it was in the middle of the day, and that was when Halloween died. Here, happily, everyone trick-or-treats at night, and no one trick-or-treats before it gets dark. Like, your doorbell does not ring until the sun goes down. Okay. It is great. Okay. All right, I've got another one for you. Adults wearing costumes, yes or no? Yes. I mean, it's it's not mandatory, and I don't always pull it off every year, but I think it's way more fun if adults wear costumes. Don't you? I don't. Oh, Allison. <laughs> I don't really like wearing costumes, and I don't really like seeing the dads that, like, dress up in those, like... <laughs> Um, those, I mean, if it's a homemade funny thing, fine, but a lot, there are a lot of dads who dress up in those superhero costumes with the like fake muscles. I don't enjoy that. Right. Well, so you shouldn't wear a shitty, stupid costume. Right. But you should have like a fun and funny costume that will make your children laugh with delight and happiness at seeing you. I more enjoy every year John saying, I'm dressed like a middle-aged dad. And then we laugh and then, yeah. It's a great joke. Uh, Okay. The correct treat to pass out. The correct treat to pass out are Hershey's Miniatures, uh, the assorted pack of Hershey's Miniatures. Those are the correct treat to pass out. No other treat will be accepted. What do you think? I mean, I basically concur as long as they include the Nestle Crunch. That's Well, that's a different bag, but you can also buy a bag of those. That's I mean, fun. Kit Kats, Nestle Crunch... Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Those are all correct. No, no, I go for the the Hershey's, the special dark oh, the Hershey's spe- with oh, almonds, right. and the Mr. Good bars. Those are the those are my four jams. However, I would like to, you to weigh in on this very important issue currently boiling in my neighborhood. What do you think about the neighbor who hands out full size candy bars? Oh, mm, I thought you were going to say who hands out toothbrush or apple. Or no, no one does that anymore. No ah. one does that. No one does that. She I guess out... I feel like that neighbor is cool. I'm okay with it. All right. Well, she's a listener, so great. <laughs> what do you I think? What do am, you think? <laughs> I'm enraged by her, and I've told her to her face that she is setting unreasonably high expectations for the rest of us. Is she just, what is she gunning for? Like, she just wants to be like most no, favorite mom No, of the she's block? literally better than the rest of us. That's the problem. But oh. She doesn't have to be so overt about it. Uh, okay. What is the right age for kids to stop trick or treating? 12. 
12. That's the sort of seems like the standard age here. It seems like many 12 year olds uh, often seem to be saying, well, this is my last year. Like this is the last year I'll do it. And then I'm done. I have a slightly more fluid answer, which is the, the right year to stop trick or treating is the last year that you put a lot of effort into it. It's the year before you half-ass it and embarrass yourself by showing up at someone's house wearing, like, a bed sheet and claiming you're a ghost. That, and you didn't even cut holes in the bed sheet. Right? Like, because that is when it gets bad. Like, I don't care if you go to your freshman year in high school or something as long as you put effort into it. When we lived in New York, uh, one time on Halloween, a group of, like, cool teens came to our door, our apartment door, and they were definitely too old to be trick-or-treating. Um, they were maybe 15 or 16 and they all had stupid nothing costumes like a cat tail or ears. And then one kid was just wearing a t-shirt and a ski mask. And I said, what are you supposed to be? And honest to God, he said, I'm a rapist. So anyways, I did not give those children candy and they can go straight to hell. Yeah. That is not a good story. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't like, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel like a big grouch on this issue, but. It seems weird when teenagers are trick-or-treating and kind of taking away, taking over and taking away the fun from the little schmoes. Right. Also, they always come to your house way too late. Once you are done trick-or-treating, you do not want to answer the door anymore. Uh, another age question. How young or how old do your kids have to be to trick-or-treat without a parent chaperone? Well, this year, the answer is 10 and 8 because oh. this is the year they're doing it. Okay. This is the first year. This is the first year, yes. Have they been asking? No, they haven't actually. They seem to enjoy going with us. But uh, I'm pretty sure that when we propose this this year, they'll get really excited about the idea. And are you are they with a gang of kids or are they responsible for each other? What's the they're with a small group of kids. OK, like three other kids plus them. OK, Yeah. so basically 10 once one is 10. That's your... yeah, basically. And although, uh, to be honest, the Harper is more going to take care of Lyra. Like Harper will probably run that group. <laughs> OK, she'll be in charge. Um, OK, here's a question. Um when schools cancel Halloween or don't do anything for Halloween or declare that Halloween will not be celebrated and kids should not wear costumes to school, is that good, bad, a good idea? Bad. bad. I mean, I wait, hold on, back up. I don't know if I think kids need to wear their Halloween costumes at school, but if the schools are canceling Halloween, like, like, how, what does it mean, schools canceling Halloween? Well, it, a lot of schools basically say, look, this is not a holiday that we're going to celebrate at our school, it's just too much of a distraction. So don't wear your costume to school, and we're not like doing a party because they don't support the all the sugar. Is it is it about the treats part of uh, things? It's for some it is, but more I think it's about just like like the ordeal of like getting kids into their costumes, and then everyone has their costumes, and you basically like just lose a whole day to all this right. like bullshit. Uh, I guess I'm just changing my mind, and I'm fine with that. Halloween should be out of school. Really? Get Halloween out of school. Yeah, it's like a neighborhood <laughs> family thing. I actually don't think schools need to be. That's what I'm going to run for school board on. That's How, a get great, Halloween out of our schools. That's Vote a great Benedict. platform. <laughs> uh, I think it's bullshit, and I think schools should celebrate Halloween in every holiday. I think that's like the only thing that makes school tolerable for 90% of children is doing stuff like that. So one uh, local middle school in suburban Virginia requires every kid to dress. If, they, if you wear a costume to school, which you're allowed to do, you must dress as a character from a book. 
which is okay. a great way yeah. of making Halloween more difficult and terrible for everyone because now you have to come up with two costumes instead of one, or you have to figure out a way that your costume that you already thought of is also a character from a book. But if you, yeah, the, I like that actually a lot. Like yeah. Ice Ninja or um, I. <laughs> I'm the Ice Monster from Dan Simmons' 1998 novel, <laughs> The Terror. <laughs> I also don't like the idea that they like blow their costume on a school thing and then it's not like I like I I think kids should not I mean I already broke this rule. <laughs> Whatever your as, kids blew their costume. I know, but I don't Halloween. support it. I'm against myself here. <laughs> like it's way more fun if the first time they put on the costume is actually on Halloween when they go out trick or treating. Yeah. They, I, you're, you paid seven dollars for that costume. They need to get maximum value out of it. How by long on in advance? How long in advance do you trust your children to actually decide on what they're going to wear for Halloween and think they won't change their mind so that you can actually go purchase the parts that you are going to assemble? October first. Okay. October first is the day that you must decide, and then we start doing things, and you can't change after that. Okay. That's a rule. Uh, this year, Lyra is a monster pizza delivery girl. She is a monster who delivers pizzas to people from Monster Pizza, I guess. Uh, and Har- Harper is a witch. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm for the early October. Also, um, I will say, though, Harry, up until we were going to the Halloween store, said he wanted to be a Giants player, like a Giants football player. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, they probably won't have anything like that at the Halloween store, but we'll go to Models or whatever and we'll get, like, we can get stuff for that. But then when he saw the ninja stuff in the Halloween store, he wanted it. And I was like, dude, you're, you got it. Like, if you make the decision now, that's it. And I'm waiting for that to backfire. That's definitely going to backfire one week from today. That's my <laughs> prediction. Uh, oh, wait, no, it'll backfire on Sunday. Whenever the Giants play next, that's when it'll backfire. Uh, what is your favorite costume you ever wore as a child? I don't have a lot of strong memories. I mean, Halloween was great, and I can picture trick-or-treating with my dad and with Jana Miller. But I don't have a ton of, like, uh, the only one I actually remember is being a pink lady from Greece. So I'll call oh, that as my favorite, costume. but, like, yeah. a bunch of us dressed up like that. That must have been, you must have been, like, 12, right? It was on the older end of things. Yeah. 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 You? Uh, my all-time best costume was that I was a bag of leaves one year. Oh. I We had a big bag full of leaves, and I hadn't thought of a costume until the day before Halloween. And so finally my mom said, you can be a bag of leaves. So I we tied the bag of leaves around my chest and poked holes in the bottoms for my legs, and I was a bag of leaves. And you put leaves on the outside of the bag? And I No, it was a transparent bag. Oh, oh that's so good. you could tell. It yeah. was full of leaves. It's a great, like great costume. Yeah. Uh, have you ever dressed up as an adult or are you so firmly anti-costumes that you've never had a fun adult Halloween costume? I did it once and I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) You were sexy Donald Trump, weren't you? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. All right. You? Uh, I was Ken Starr, uh, in 1999. (laughs) That's funny. That's good. It was a a great costume. Are you dressing up this year? Uh, I haven't, I'm trying to come up with a good idea. I haven't come up with a great idea yet, but I hope to. I hope to, yes. Um, All right, final question. Most important question of Halloween. What adult treats should houses pass out? I've never heard of such a thing. What? Oh, I'm pretty sure that now that you're in the suburbs. I just moved to the suburbs. Ooh. I think Um, you're about to have a very happy Halloween. So we pass out, we make sangria. We make sangria uh, that we give out. Um, I also like there's a house near where we trick-or-treat that we go to every year that does spiked mulled cider, like mulled cider with rum. That makes – I like that a lot. I mean because it's That's really good. It's, it's nice and warm. And, yeah. Uh, pop brownies would be great. That would be an excellent adult treat. But definitely prepare yourself. I think that you're going to have a much more fun Halloween, But although maybe one that you don't remember in the end thanks to all the adult treats. 
Um, this also means I have to rethink what we have in our house. Although I don't, when you have little kids, we're not going to be like you now. Your kids are going out alone. We're going to be. I never really know how to balance the like taking our kids out and yet being at our house to pass stuff out. We, oh, Brooklyn, you do it we in just... shifts, right? One parent takes kids out for like the first half. It's not that while easy the other when you have parents three kids. Home. Oh yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. We used to it's just a leave a big point. bucket on our stoop in Brooklyn. It would be gone in like thirty seconds. And then... yes, that's a great invitation to local fourteen-year-olds. <laughs> right. right. Wearing I don't know. Cat we'll figure ears. this one out. Okay. All right. Happy Halloween, everyone. It's the greatest holiday on the face of the earth. And Allison, I'm sorry that you're doing it completely wrong. I really do love it, though. I never really cared about Halloween. And ever since having kids, it really, it really is the most fun holiday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Happy Halloween, everyone. So send us, if you have amazing ideas for adult treats to hand out, you know, that are legal, uh, or uh, or great costumes that your kids have had, if you just want to tell us, tell Allison in particular that she's doing Halloween wrong, let us know on our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Okay, let's move on to recommendations. Uh, I'll go first. I want to recommend the movie The Overnight. Have you seen this movie, Dan? I have not seen this movie. Um, it is a very funny comedy. Uh, sex comedy uh, with Adam Scott and Taylor Schilling of what is that show called? Orange is the New Black. Thank you. And Jason Schwartzman. Uh, it's about a couple that just moved to L.A. and they meet another couple in the park with their two similarly aged kids and the couple that are that has long lived in L.A. invites them over and they have one long, very funny, very drunken night together, and I think it has a lot of appeal for parents, and it's just a good good, uh, good movie. <laughs> Would you describe it as appropriate for fans of, what was that show called, that HBO show that you Oh, Togetherness? So it's, Togetherness, I, yes. I soured on that show. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, for people who would have liked Togetherness if it had stayed awesome. People who liked that movie, Afternoon Delight, which I also liked, would oh, like yes. The Overnight. If you liked Afternoon Delight or Diary of a Wimpy Kid, you might like (laughs) The Overnight. Uh, All right. I'll take on my recommendation. Um, First of all, as Allison mentioned in the opening, um, a lot of you are playing Ace of Hates. I'm really, really glad about that. Uh, If you played the game, you owe me 4.7 cents. But there was a question online about ties. So I'm just going to tell everyone that I figured out a tiebreaker. So, like, if you're holding the Six of Clubs, and one person guesses five of hates, and someone else guesses seven of hates, then you do a tiebreaker round. You grab a new card off the top of the deck, then you say, like, a new thing that matches that card that you love or hate that much. Then you have the two tied players guess again. Just those two. And you make a rule that their guesses may not be an even number of steps apart. So if, like, the first person guesses the four of loves, the other person can't guess the six, they gotta guess the five or the seven or the nine. The winner... The one who's closest gets that first card, but if someone guesses exactly in the tiebreaker round, they get both cards as a tiebreaker bonus. Boom. I solved that. (laughs) I solved that problem. So I'm going to up the rate now. If you play Ace of Hates, you now owe me 5.7 cents because the game is even better. But my recommendation for this week is Kate Beaton's picture book, The Princess and the Pony. Uh, You may know Kate Beaton's work if you know her great online comic, which then later turned into a best-selling book, Hark a Vagrant. Uh, a very funny history and literature-related comic strip. But this book is a picture book for young readers about a very small warrior princess 
who does not get the battle horse that she has been hoping for for her birthday. It is a really great and stupid story that features spitballs and cozy sweaters and farting ponies. It is highly recommended for ages three to seven. It's called The Princess and the Pony by Kate Beaton. Check it out. Uh, that sounds great. And that's our show. Please email us at momanddad at slate.com with your thoughts about today's show, parenting tips, and suggestions for future topics or questions about Ace of Hates. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and please call us with your questions at 424-255-7833. Thanks to our producer, Ann Hepperman, and to our intern, Jesse Chazen Tabor. Our executive producer is Andy Bowers. Mom and Dad are fighting as part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to Meredith Fine Lichtenberg. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Allison. And thank you all for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.